the nature, government, and function of the church, a reassessment. 2001, Kuiper Foundation, Taunton, England. Narrated by Nathan F. Conkey. 1. Introduction The name, pretense and presumed power and authority of the church or churches have been made and used as the greatest engine for the promoting and satisfying the avarice, sensuality, ambition and cruelty of men that ever was in the world. To this very day, the church here and there, as it is esteemed, is the greatest means of keeping Christian religion in its power and purity out of the world and a temptation to multitudes of men to prefer the church before religion and to be obstinate in their oppositions unto it. The secular, worldly interest of multitudes lying in this presumptive church and the state of it, they preferred and exalted it above all that is called God and made the greatest idol of it that ever was in the world, for it was the faith and profession of it that its authority over the souls and consciences of men is above the authority of the Scriptures. John Owen There is perhaps no subject that Christians have discussed, debated and argued about more fiercely than that of the nature, government and function of the church, and the arguments have not been merely over denominational issues, but over issues within and specific to particular denominations, with representatives from various denominations sometimes holding some of the same views. But if it is true that this subject has been discussed at such length and argued over so fiercely, why does it need to be addressed again? The answer to this question is, I believe, because the Church, by and large, has not yet arrived at a satisfactory conclusion regarding this matter. There are many and varied reasons for this failure to understand the biblical doctrine of the Church. I do not intend to go into all these reasons. Rather, I shall concentrate on positively setting forth what I believe to be the biblical, and thus truly Christian doctrine, of the Church. 1. The Scope of This Essay What I have to say in this essay is not primarily related to the issue of denomination. My primary purpose is not to argue for a particular denomination. The form of church government found in the New Testament is that of elderships or councils of elders. Therefore, in sections 3.2 and 3.4, I deal with the subject of church government in this biblical form of elderships. I do so not on the basis of denominational sectarianism, but simply because the Bible presents the material in this form, and it is the biblical doctrine that we must seek to understand and expound. However, I am critical at points of the way in which Presbyterianism, which claims to represent and practice this form of church government, has built up its denominational edifice, often speciously from the biblical material, and for that reason I find the claim it makes unconvincing in some important respects. The Reformation dictum, Ecclesia Reformata, 
Semper Reformanda, the Reformed Church is always fit to be reformed, means that we should continually seek the reformation of the Church according to biblical teaching whenever and wherever the Church departs from it. I agree entirely with this sentiment and it is in order to contribute to this process of reformation that this essay has been written. Nevertheless, the general principles in the main that I shall deal with in this essay are practicable in all denominations, notwithstanding the specific ecclesial forms with which they are usually, and often mistakenly, associated. I must issue a disclaimer at the outset. I have not attempted to say everything about this subject that could be said. I shall be dealing with generalities for the most part, and some particular manifestations and examples of general principles. I seek primarily not to be exhaustive, but to address what I believe to be a continuing problem that the Church faces in its understanding of its own nature, government and mission. 2. The meaning of Ecclesia With the exception of James 2.2 and Acts 19.37, the word translated church in the New Testament of the Authorised Version is Ecclesia, meaning an assembly or congregation. This word is derived from the Greek verb ekaleo, which is a compound word consisting of the verb kaleo, meaning to call, summon, and the preposition ek, meaning from or out of. Ekaleo thus means to call out or forth, to summon forth. The noun ekklesia means an assembly of those called out. In its use of this word for the body of Christ, therefore, the New Testament stresses the fact that Christians are called out of the world of sin and unbelief into fellowship with God. There is another important dimension to the word ecclesia, though it was the Greek term for the people organised as a political body. According to Liddell and Scott, ecclesia means an assembly of the citizens regularly summoned, the legislative assembly. The ecclesia was, from the 5th century BC, the assembly of the demos in Athens and most Greek city-states the demos being the classical Greek term for the people as organised into a body politic. Thus, in choosing the word ecclesia to denote the assembly of Christians or body of Christ, the Holy Spirit has emphasised not only the fact that Christians are called out of the world of sin and unbelief into covenant fellowship with God, but also that this community or assembly of the faithful constitutes a holy nation under one Lord who is sovereign over the whole of life. 1 Peter 2.9 In claiming Christ as Lord, therefore, Christians declare allegiance to a new king whose jurisdiction is total and therefore whose law is to govern all human thoughts, actions and relationships with all other people and things. Allegiance to this new king and to his law comes before all else. There is a political dimension to Christ's lordship over his people, and thus there is a political dimension to the life of the Christian congregation also. And this political dimension has been emphasised by the Holy Spirit 
in his choice of the word ecclesia to denote the congregation of the Christians or body of Christ. In the New Testament, the word ecclesia is used of the body of Christ or assembly of Christians in three distinguishable senses. One, to refer to the whole body of the elect that have been, are, or ever shall be united to Christ through faith, Matthew 16, 18, Ephesians 5, 23, 24, 25 following, 27, 29, 32, Colossians 1, 18 and 24. This is the invisible, Catholic or universal church. 2. The term is also used to refer to all those throughout the world who profess faith in Christ together with their children. Acts 5, 11, 8, 1 and 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Compare Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 and Ephesians 3, 10. This is the visible Catholic Church. 3. The term ecclesia is, quite obviously, also used to refer to the body of believers in a particular location, assembled together as a local congregation. For example, Matthew 18.17, Acts 11.26, Romans 16.1, Corinthians 1.2, 4.17, and 18, 16.11, 2 Corinthians 8.1 and 19, Colossians 4.15, Revelation 2.1, 12, 18, 3.1, etc. The instances of the use of ecclesia in this sense are almost too numerous to cite. This is the visible church in a particular location, organised into a congregation for the maintenance and practice of the Christian public religious cultus, the institutional church. The term is also used in a sense inclusive of two or all of these senses, however. For example, in Acts 2.47 we are told that the Lord added to the ecclesia daily those who were being saved which can only mean that God was adding to the invisible Catholic Church, the visible Catholic Church, and the local congregation or assembly at Jerusalem. The ecclesia here comprehends all the above senses, therefore. Acts 7.38 refers to the ecclesia in the wilderness, that is, the congregation of Israel, which at that time was the visible Catholic Church, since too, and the institutional church under the Mosaic economy, since three, but not the whole number of elect united to Christ through faith, the invisible Catholic Church. Of course, when we use these terms and think about the church in this way, we are not to imagine that these are three different churches. We are speaking of the same church in each case, but viewed from different perspectives. Nevertheless, the reference for each of the three definitions of ecclesia given above, invisible, visible and particular, are not identical. The invisible Catholic Church is the body of Christ. The visible Catholic Church is the body of Christ, but it is not coterminous with the Church invisible, 
since it refers to the church in time and history, whereas the church invisible refers to all who have ever been, are or will be united to Christ through faith. Likewise, particular churches or groups of churches, denominations, are members of the visible Catholic Church, but they are not coterminous with the visible Catholic Church, since the visible Catholic Church may be represented by a variety of denominations and groups in any particular location. The Church visible may also include hypocrites, that is, non-believers who profess to be believers. The membership of a particular church, therefore, may not be coterminous with the whole church invisible, that is, those truly united to Christ by faith in that particular congregation. Also, the life and calling of the church visible in any particular locality and of the visible Catholic church throughout the world is much broader than that of any particular church or the sum of all particular churches, since the particular church is a local congregation organized for specific purposes, namely the practice of the Christian public religious cultus, whereas the existence and calling of the church visible embraces the whole of life and society. It is also possible for a particular local congregation or church organization or denomination to become so corrupt and apostate, both practically and creedily, that it can in no sense be considered a Christian church any longer. Furthermore, because even the purest churches, that is, particular congregations, under heaven are subject both to mixture and error, and some have so degenerated as to become no churches of Christ, but synagogues of Satan. We must not conclude that that merely because someone is excommunicated from or chooses to leave a particular church that claims to be a Christian church, he therefore automatically ceases to be a member of the invisible or visible church, or visible Catholic church. We must be careful, therefore, as we read the New Testament, to observe how the term ecclesia is used in each case, in order that we might understand what God is saying to us in the Scriptures. Yet, in each case when we speak of the ecclesia, whether invisible, visible or particular, we refer to the body, we refer to the one body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 12-13, Ephesians 4, 4-6. Christ has one body, not three bodies. 3. Etymology of the term church and its relation to ecclesia. The term church, that is to say its Greek cognate, is not used in the New Testament as a term for the body of Christ, either in the broadest sense as the body of believers, considered as visible or invisible, or more narrowly as the institutional church, the local congregation or assembly of Christians in a particular locality, meeting to maintain and practice the Christian public religious cultus. The word church comes from the Old English sirike or sirke, which is derived from the Greek word kurikon, meaning God's house, a popular 4th century form of the Greek word kuriakon, an adjective meaning imperial, of the Lord. This Greek word was used of the Lord's house to kuriakondoma, 
The English word church is derived via this root from the Greek adjective kuriakos. This adjective is only used twice in the New Testament, however, and in neither instance, and in neither instance does it have reference to the church, that is, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, or congregation of Christians. In 1 Corinthians 11.20, it is used of the Lord's Supper, and in Revelation 1.10, of the Lord's Day. Nowhere in the New Testament is this term used to refer to the Lord's house. Thus, strictly speaking, the notion or concept of the church is not part of the New Covenant, though it is, of course, part of the Old Covenant, that is, the temple. The concept of the church that is, a building and its appurtenances, set apart as a special sanctuary for Christian worship, is not found in the New Testament and is not a feature of the New Covenant. It was in recognition of this fact that William Tyndale, in his translation of the New Testament, refused to use the word church to translate ecclesia and rendered it more correctly as congregation throughout Nowhere in Tyndale's translation of the New Testament do we find the word church used of the assembly or community of believers. The New Testament does not identify the ecclesia as the house of the Lord, that is, a building and its appurtenances, but as the people of God called out of the world of sin and unbelief into fellowship with himself as his holy nation. The English word church is thus a mistranslation of the Greek word ecclesia. There were no Christian churches in the New Testament. Believers met in their homes or other places, but there were no specially designated buildings set apart for Christian worship. There were, of course, synagogues where Christians first began to worship as Christians on the Jewish Sabbath, but they were soon obliged to leave these and worship elsewhere. Originally, however, the term synagogue did not refer to a building either, but to a gathering of people, an assembly, from the Greek sunago, meaning to gather together, and was used of the local communities of Jews who met together on the Sabbath for worship, instruction in the law, and for educational and social purposes. That is to say, it referred to people, a community, not to a building, and only came to signify a building at a later date because of its use as a metonym for the building in which the community met. It was exactly the opposite with the term church. That is to say, the building, which is properly termed the church, came to signify the community of Christians that met in it. Unfortunately, the translators of the authorised version chose not to follow Tyndale's superior translation in this matter and resorted to church, that is, the Lord's house, as a translation of ecclesia, where the latter refers to the congregation of Christians or body of Christ. They rejected the correct translation ecclesia as congregation because this was the terminology of the Puritans, which they stated in their preface they wished to avoid. Lastly, we have on the one side avoided the scrupulosity of the Puritans, who leave the old ecclesiastical words and betake them to other, as when they put washing for baptism and congregation instead of church, 
as also on the other side. We have shunned the obscurity of the papists in their asymes, tunic, rational, holocausts, prepousse, pache, and a number of such like. Wherefore, their lit translation is full and that of purpose to darken the sense that since they must needs translate the Bible, yet by the language thereof it may be kept from being understood. The problem with this translation of Ecclesia as church becomes apparent when we compare the authorised version's translation of the Old Testament Hebrew term guahal with the Septuagint translation of that term into Greek. The term guahal means congregation or assembly and is translated as congregation throughout the Old Testament of the authorised version. The Septuagint translates guahal as ecclesia. We should naturally expect the term ecclesia to be translated as congregation in the New Testament, therefore. But we do not find this in the authorised version. Instead, it is translated as church. The inconsistency of this translation becomes evident when the New Testament cites an Old Testament text containing the word kwahal in the original Hebrew. For example, Hebrews 2.12 reads in the authorised version, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the church I will sing praise unto thee. The term church here is ecclesia in Greek, a term that the Septuagint used to translate kwahal in the Old Testament. Hebrews 2.12 is a direct quotation from Psalm 22.22, which the authorised version translates thus, I will declare thy name unto my brethren, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Since the Septuagint here translates Quahal as Ecclesia, we should expect the English term congregation in the Hebrews 2.12 text, just as in the Psalm 22.22 text, the former is a direct quotation from the Old Testament, yet the authorised version takes no account of this compelling reason for translating ecclesia as congregation and mistranslates at this point. In doing this, the authorised version follows the translators of the Geneva Bible, who perpetrated this error before them. It is a matter of wonder that the translators of the Geneva Bible committed this error, it is a matter of wonder that the translators of the Geneva Bible committed this error. However, since although a reason for a politically correct rather than a philologically correct translation can easily be found for the authorised version, I can think of no reason for such an error on the part of the translators of the Geneva Bible, which was a superior translation to the authorised version and, unlike the authorised version, written in the language, written in the language that the English actually spoke, as was Tyndale's translation. The inconsistency of the authorised version's translation of Ecclesia can be further illustrated by its avoidance of the English word church to translate Ecclesia, where the latter does not refer to the body of Christ or to the assemblies of Christians. Indeed, were Ecclesia to be rendered church in such passages, this translation would immediately be shown to be hopelessly incorrect and thoroughly misleading. For example, in Acts 19.32, 39 and 41, Ecclesia is correctly translated as assembly. 
The reference here is to a mob of Ephesian citizens. The use of the word church to describe this gathering would obviously be untenable. This only shows, however, just how much our acceptance of the word church as a translation of ecclesia, that is to say, just how much a preconception fostered by over 400 years of mistranslation has coloured our reading of scripture. The authorised version's translation of ecclesia is consistently confused and highly misleading, that is, it mistranslates the term throughout. Whatever the reason for these errors in the past and the problems of misunderstandings they have created and helped to ingrain in people's minds over the years, it is important that we now recognise that the Greek term ecclesia does not refer to the Lord's house, but to the body of Christ or community of believers and to the assembly of this community in a particular locality for specific purposes. 4. Definition of terms There are two terms used constantly in this essay that call for definition at the outset. It is important that the reader bear these definitions in mind throughout this essay. 1. Church In this essay, I shall not propose or adopt the idea of changing common usage at so late a date. The term church is now so strongly attached to the New Testament ecclesia that it would be futile to attempt to correct this error. Nevertheless, a definition of the term as it is used in this essay is necessary in order to avoid misunderstanding. I shall throughout the rest of this essay use the term church with the first letter capitalised to refer to the body of Christ considered as the institutional church and the capitalised form church to refer to the body of Christ considered in the broadest sense as the people of God. This usage is not meant to imply that the institutional church is not the body of Christ, nor that the body of Christ does not exist as an institution. I have adopted it purely for the purpose of clarity, nor am I suggesting that this usage should be adopted generally. It is not my common usage. I adopt it here merely for the purpose of limiting confusion and misunderstanding in this essay. My reasons for this usage will become apparent later. 2. Institutional In this essay, a great deal of reference will be made to the institutional church in order to distinguish the organised Christian public cultus from the church considered as the body of Christ in the broader sense, which comprehends the institutional church but is not limited to it. My use of this term also needs clarification and explanation. We use the term in two different senses in relation to the church, often without having any clear understanding of the different meanings that can be and are assigned to it, and often without being fully aware ourselves of the different ways in which we use the word. The term can be used legitimately of the church in the two following senses. A. To mean a legally defined societal structure or organisation, that is, a corporate body or organisation recognised legally as forming part of the societal structure of a nation. As the term is used of other societal structures and organisations and b. To mean a society instituted by God's word. The Christian church did not exist institutionally in the first century in sense a 
but it did exist in sense B. This makes our discussion of the Church's institutional role today, in terms of biblical and especially New Testament precedent, more difficult because the Church does not exist in both senses in Western society, and I believe it should exist in both senses. But it may be asked, how does one derive the institutional Church as a valid concept in sense A if it did not exist as such in the New Testament? This is where we are in the realm of what, by good and necessary consequence, may be deduced from Scripture. The answer to this question is in two parts. First, the Church as a legally defined societal structure or organisation is implied in, or to be deduced from, the fact that God's law is to be the law of all nations and societies. God commands all individuals and nations, as nations, to submit to the yoke and discipline of his law. Psalm 2, 10-12, compare Matthew 28, 18-20. Therefore, sense A must follow sense B as a good and necessary consequence of the conversion and discipling of the nations to Christ and his law, which is the result of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18-20. The fact that the Church did not exist institutionally in sense A in the New Testament period is only because the nations into which the Gospel came had not converted at that time, though many individuals and families among those nations had converted. The conversion of the nations took time, hard work, and the blood of many martyrs, the apostles themselves being in the vanguard of this process. That being the case, we should not expect the conversion of the nations in their own lifetime. The spilling of their own blood was part of the process, in God's will, for bringing the nations to Christ. Eventually, the nations began converting as nations, but the institutionalization of the Church, in sense A, had to wait. This explains the fact that the Christian Church did not exist institutionally in sense A during the first century, and thus in the New Testament scriptures. Secondly, the pre-Christian Church did exist institutionally in sense A under the Old Covenant. We have in the Old Testament an example of the Church's pre-Christian institutional existence. Of course, there are great discontinuities, for example, the sacrificial system, the priesthood, system of public worship, etc. But there are also continuities. The coming of Jesus Christ did not set aside the fact that God's law is to become the law of the nations. It expedited that process. And Christ's commission to his people is that they should continue the work he came to do in this respect. Matthew 28, 18-20 Thus, Just as there existed under the Old Covenant an institutional church in sense A, that is, an organised public religious cultus with a legally defined societal structure, so also under the New Covenant the church should exist as an organised public religious cultus with a legally defined societal structure. There is continuity in the sense that the Christian church should exist institutionally as part of a nation's societal structure, since this is implied in the Great Commission, but also discontinuity in that there is no direct equivalence because the cultus of the New Covenant Church is not sacrificial, 
not administered by a set-apart priesthood, and does not derive its form of government from the Levitical model. Also, the Old Testament, Quahal, congregation, was the nation of Israel politically. There is discontinuity here also, since the Christian Church, the body of Christ, is not a particular ethnic community, but rather a new community, the members of which are people from all the nations, adopted into God's family through union with Christ. The continuity principle for our purposes in this essay exists in the realisation of an institute of God's word on the societal and legal levels in the life of the nation. It is thus legitimate to speak of a national Christian church, that is, a church or group of churches recognised legally as forming part of the societal structure of a nation, without implying that the church, the body of Christ, is coterminous with the organisation of the church in such an institutional way. In the Old Covenant, this was different, in that one had to become a member of Israel to become a member of the pre-Christian institutional church. In the New Covenant era, this realisation of the institution of God's word must be in accordance with the New Covenant administration of God's covenant grace. Therefore, the Christian church exhibits all the discontinuities with the Old Testament church that we should expect, given the different natures of their religious cultus. But the necessity of the realisation of the institutions of God's word legally in society remains unchanged. The church, therefore, is recognised institutionally, or should be, in sense A, that is, as a legally defined societal structure, by its existence as an organised public religious cultus. The establishment of the institutional church, in sense A, above, should, therefore, follow the fact that it exists by God's will, in sense B, as the nations are converted to Christ and disciplined to his law. Ergo, the church should be institutional in both senses defined above, though it does not always exist institutionally in sense A, especially where the preaching of the gospel has not yet led to the conversion of the nation. The institutional church in a Christian nation is thus the body of Christ as it exists as a legally defined societal structure with specific functions in society namely the maintenance of the Christian public religious cultus instituted by God's word. Legal accountability for this organisation rests with its officers or those who rule. But, as we shall see, the institutional church is only one aspect of the body of Christ and its function on earth. And, important as this God-ordained institution is, the body of Christ or church in the wider sense, must never be reduced simply to the institutional cultus and organization. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows 
or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.